travelling those vast distances uh, is next to impossible, mm. uh, uh, especially if you consider a human lifespan, let's just say 70 years, at the maximum speed we could go in 70 years, we're not getting very far. Mm. Uh, we're not getting even to the closest uh, star. Science experiment. The game I play is a very interesting one. It's imagination in a tight straitjacket. The beauty of a living thing is not the atoms that go into it, but the way those atoms are put together. What I always think should be the basis of education is not answers but questions. We should teach kids how to question. Welcome to Blab Codes. My name is Samit Siddiqui. So today on the podcast, I had Dr. Ain Dehoda, who is an astronomer, astrophysicist um, at the Penrith Observatory at Western Sydney University. He's a really interesting guy to talk to. And uh, in this episode, we spoke about a lot of different things, uh, really cool things. Um, his journey into astrophysics and astronomy. We spoke about his research into SETI, so the search for extraterrestrial life. Um, we talked about how we know that the universe is expanding um, and what type of evidence we have for that. But also we talked about his research into supernovas. So uh, you may or may not be aware, but we are created from stardust. So when stars explode, um, a supernova happens, so that's the explosion, and all the guts, all the elements like carbon, nitrogen, and iron, all of these uh, burst out from the star, and that's what you know planets are made out of. That's what we as human beings are made out of. So we spoke about um, that. I uh, would. I also asked him a bunch of chemistry stuff. I'm oh, sorry, physics stuff, you know, uh, and astronomy stuff. Because uh, this is my first time talking to an astronomer, and I thought, okay, I'm just not going to leave any questions behind. If I have any questions, I'm just going to like try to get an answer from an expert right here, right now. I really enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Ain. He's a really nice guy, um, and they also have observatory, or I should say, stargazing. Uh, nights twice a month so you guys should definitely check that out and, and book a session because I know I am I am or I will I should say um, and also don't forget to like our Facebook page give us uh, a rating and, and a review we have a competition so anyone who gets um, let me see I have a shirt here oh so if you're not if you're listening to this then I would encourage you to actually watch it on YouTube but we have a nice lab coat shirt look at this shit look at this this is cool and you have lab coats written on the back this is our first shirts that we've created we're going to create and design some more so um, the competition is as follows so if you can get uh, five people to like our facebook page and type up essentially comment you know give so and so a a a shirt 
then uh, you go into the draw of actually winning one of those Blabcoats shirts. But there's another competition at the same time. Whoever gets the most amount of recommendations, so if you get like 20 people or 10 people, whoever, whatever number it may be, and if yours is the most by the end of, let's say, two weeks, so it's the 3rd of September now, so we'll find out on the 17th of September who uh, who gets the shirt. But once, yeah, so if you the person has the most amount of recommendations and friends going on our Facebook page and saying, you know, give so-and-so a shirt, that's the person who wins. And the person who gets five people to recommend or uh, recommend them goes in the draw to win a shirt. So if you do both, you never know, you might be, um, win two. Anyway, here's the episode. I really enjoyed my conversation. I hope you guys do too. Get ready to learn some physics shit. So are you into music as well or? Um, uh, Alex is into right. music. He's, he's, a, he's a musician. Yeah. I, I unfortunately didn't have the, the, the luck or I should say I, I wasn't fortunate enough to be born in a musical family. So I never got the chance to develop those skills and get yeah. into it. How about you? Uh, well, likewise. I, well, or, or it skipped me because my dad could sing. My brother can play guitar. Wow. Uh, and I'd love to be able to, but I can't. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I feel the same. I my, I have friends that are singers and f- friends that can play instruments yeah. like violinists and guitarists, yeah. and I just look at them with, with so much envy. Tell yeah. me about it, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's so cool. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, one thing that I realized when doing science is that the more you know about how the world works, the more interesting and wonderful it becomes. Yep. And so, if you understand music, it's just another avenue for you to appreciate yep. how the world works. Yep. And I've been robbed of that. So thanks, mom. (laughs) Thanks, dad. (laughs) So uh, let's start. This is my first time interviewing an astrophysicist or um, even talking to people who are in the field of astronomy, cosmology, astrophysics. So I'm very excited, Dane. Okay. I'm looking forward. Well, I'm not a cosmologist, though. So tell us what what, what you do. Okay. Um, Well, what do I do? Well, mostly uh, uh, now I actually run this observatory you're at. Mm -hmm. and so uh, uh, my job, or as I see it, uh, apart from my teaching, is uh, to take science out to the community, you know, uh, to uh, uh, explain what it is that uh, we do as astrophysicists and uh, um, just spark something in, in the youth. That's, that's mostly what I do at the moment. So. Um, did, was there someone specifically put a spark in you? I don't think there was one specific person. Uh, there was a few teachers along the way uh, who uh, uh, sort of got me interested, but I think I was just a curious so-and-so from a little uh, age. I mean, I always remember that uh, uh, the first thing I did when I was allowed to go into the city on my own went to, to what is now the Powerhouse Museum, when it used to be in its old location, it was called the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences in those days. And that's the first place I took myself. Really? Because I, I just, yeah, I just loved that. I could have hung out that place all day. <laughs> yeah. Wow, so you were a very curious yeah. uh, child. Oh, yeah. Huh. yeah. I used to pull things apart to see how they worked. Sometimes I could get them back together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alex, Alex, in fact, that's funny because I used to do that with electronics all the time and just ruin it. Uh, but it was just fun to see, oh, this is the little bits that go into this. Alex uh, 
interestingly, he, he was very much like that, but he would do it to animals. Right. And so um, one time, there's a story he told me, one time he found like a blue tongue lizard. Right. Um, I think that was hit by a car or something. It, it got hit and he thought it was dead. So he starts dissecting it and he opens up the chest cavity and he sees the heart beating. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I get to you, man. That sounds like the origins of like Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some psychopath. <laughs> you shouldn't go around telling people that story. <laughs> uh, no, I never did that, but I was very curious. And and so, how did you feed that curiosity? Um, how did I feed it? Uh, I I read quite a bit, uh, mostly popular uh, science. Uh, stuff I I went to that museum all the time uh, uh, whatever science shows there were I was into them wow. I used to love watching the curiosity show and things like that I don't know if you've ever heard of that no, I haven't. it was a great Australian TV show from the 70s right what, what was uh, it like what? Uh, what was it like it's probably really corny nowadays but there was two guys and they do all sorts of things and it was scientifically based uh, uh, I haven't I've seen nothing that sort of compares to it because it never talked down to kids. It was really uh, uh, straight on uh, and, uh, you know, got into some quite heavy stuff for, you know, for, for kids. As I said, never talked down to them. And I also remember Professor Julius Sumsamilla. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Okay, once again, <laughs> great. He was, a, uh, I think he was an actually expat American who uh, uh, was here in australia and had a tv show and it was like why is it so uh, uh, you really must look up some stuff on youtube on on, I, I on the curiosity show and uh, professor julia sums miller but uh i just uh, loved that sort of stuff i also remember i just remembered this uh when i was in primary school it was a marubra junction public school uh-huh. there used to be an after school activity run by the i think it was the pnc so it was the mothers group and it was a science club and so i used to hang around for that uh and it was you know it was non-scientists but trying to spark interest in science uh-huh. and kids and i already had that interest but i remember the the big the big thing the big wow thing was getting uh in those days you had milk bottles and you had milk delivered the, the glass bottles. The glass bottles, Old school, yeah. yeah. And getting the hard-boiled egg into the glass bottle by uh, uh, basically sticking a wick of burning paper into the bottle and then sticking the egg in as the air is sucked out and the egg, oh. egg, egg gets drawn into the into oh. the bottle. But, yeah, he's still... Uh, so they'll do like, things like that. That's... Yeah. Crushing cans without touching them, you know. By, How do you do that? Well, you, you know, you, you put a little bit of water in the can, you boil it up, and then you put the lid on it, and you just wait till it cools uh, down, and obviously as it contracts. I, I think Mythbusters did an oh, episode yeah. like that. I think they did it with one of those... Um those trucks the 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 ones that carry petroleum oh okay yeah and yeah, they, yeah. they did they they heated up to i don't know like 100 degrees celsius right. and then, and then so they like, they let it cool down <laughs> you know? right that's on steroids so i can yeah, see mythbusters and ste- they probably blew it up afterwards yeah i think <laughs> they blow up everything yeah. um but that's a cool show yep. so you were surrounded by uh, it seems like it, it, an environment of science enthusiasts um yes though my well i'm i'm uh uh the son of immigrants so uh, we came to australia when i was three years old from uh, uruguay my parents had hardly any schooling 
and that's what they wanted for us is is schooling and dad was self-taught everything he knew he effectively taught himself wow uh so he was curious and i was curious um you know and but i surrounded myself with that sort of stuff you know i was always the i guess the, the geek you know I, I wanted to make a robot and all those sorts of things yeah that's so yeah. cool so your your parents were uh, that's a very similar story to mine um so i came here when i was about seven or eight years old from afghanistan so mm-hmm. we left um a place of war and my parents were very uh um they they viewed education as something very important yeah. to them and it's interesting both none of my parents are scientists um my, my mom was a high school teacher and my dad used to teach um history at, at university right but they all both of them were very curious and yep. i think they they thought like a scientist they were they yep. wanted to learn more and they were very interested in the human body and how the world works and i yep. think that kind of seeped into me and, and got me interested in science yeah so um h- how did you then you had this uh fascination with science uh, how did that develop into a career into science um so in a roundabout way. <laughs> uh, well, I actually wanted to join the Air Force before I uh, got into university. and But I wanted to go in as a pilot. I, nothing else would have done. And I missed out in the first intake. So I came to uni and the thing that I was best at was physics. So I didn't need to, need to uh, really uh, do a lot of work on that. I was just sort of naturally... Uh, ap- natural aptitude in that sort of area. I failed biology miserably, <laughs> and <laughs> chemistry I was okay at, uh, and so I uh, I uh, I thought, oh well, I'll, uh, in the meantime I'll I'll start doing a you know a, a science degree. A- ended up staying in the science degree. I majored in physics. Eventually passed the biology I <laughs> needed to pass, and uh, then I uh, uh, did my honours and. Uh, uh, along the way, met some some people I really admired and look up to, and I guess that uh, with my undergraduate degree in physics and computing, as it was in those days, I actually did quite a bit of hardware development, and that's uh, sort of led me to astrophysics in in an indirect way. Uh, one of the uh, lecturers I met along the way, who unfortunately is no longer with us, was uh, Bobby Vale and uh, she was an astrophysicist and she took me out to parks uh, uh, when I was in my third year. Uh, she was uh, doing some observations and thought, you know, yeah, come and have a look at what we do. And at that stage, I thought, no, I don't like astronomy. <laughs> <laughs> I, like all the, I like all the gadgets behind the scenes. I love all the equipment and so on. Uh, so I was more into the engineering side rather than the the, the astronomy That's side. Right. Uh, but many years later, I came around and I actually then did my PhD and I uh, uh, studied uh, supernova remnants. So uh, you know, I've now gone full circle. And, right. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. So uh, engineering brought you to astronomy. Indirectly, mm-hmm. I mean, I not an engineer. Right. Uh, you know, my, as I said, my degree was physics but that's uh, where you were interested and computing in. but no but uh, uh in my in the computing there was a lot of hardware uh, right, okay so when i say computing it wasn't just the programming side it you was the microprocessor it. interfacing microprocessor hardware as it were right. there so it was uh, uh at that particular time when everything was 
going digital basically mm. so uh, you know i had a a knack for designing equipment and building equipment right yeah so uh, you said you did an honors what did you do your honors on uh well i did my honors and this is was indirectly astronomy and that's where where some of my early work was in was in uh, uh it was in signal processing i uh had a board that had been designed by a chap in Harvard, his name Paul Horowitz, and a, it was a, a spectrum analyzer, and uh, it was a new digital technology. It actually used some chips developed by the CSIRO mm. uh, that did fast Fourier transforms. So I built an interface for this board, and I evaluated its use of the of the board. So that was my my honours program so it was there was some physics in that but mm-hmm. mostly engineering as engineering okay yeah so you've kind of mentioned a couple of things that i think need unpacking yep. um so it was a it, it was a spectrum analyzer so yes. that's just looking at for the guys who don't have a physics background or science background it's just looking at all the colors in the light yeah, and in this case it wasn't for light, but it, it could have been. In this case it was for radio signals, so it was uh, uh, it was uh, attached to a radio telescope, mm-hmm. and uh, we were looking at uh, radio frequencies, not at optical frequencies. Okay. Yeah. And and you mentioned Fourier transforming, yep. so that's just breaking down the signal into its basic fundamental components. That's right. Well, it it just breaks it up into the its spectrum. So if you have a time signal then you can see what that time signal is what frequency components make up that particular uh, time signal so the easiest way to think about it it is like getting the white light passing it through a prism and seeing all of the colors that make up that white light Mm. the colors represent the different frequencies and the intensity is just how much of that particular color is is present so in this case here it's a radio signal and you're bringing it up into its component frequencies and and the proportion of each of those uh component frequencies right. and and what would that enable uh, astronomers to do uh well in in this case what this board uh was meant to do was look at narrow band signals so it'll it uh it's like having a stack of radios all tuned to a slightly different frequency and uh seeing just how much, uh, how strong a particular signal is in any of those given uh, uh, frequencies. And uh, it was developed to do a thing called SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Oh. Uh, so uh, it wasn't to do any uh, uh, standard astronomy because we're usually looking at uh, broader band signals. This was narrow band narrow band signals yeah okay so broader band that those are the frequencies that are oh it's spread out over spread, spread out. out over many frequencies right. instead of having a lot of energy just concentrated in one or a few frequencies right. and so when you're looking for extraterrestrial life why would you focus on a narrow band frequency well, i guess the idea was that we've developed radio and radio in our case uh works by putting a lot of energy in a very narrow band uh, of frequencies and transmitting that so i'm talking about am radio or fm radio that sort of thing and uh, if you want to communicate over very long distances it's very hard to actually travel those uh, long distances but it's very simple and cheap to send a radio signal across the galaxy right uh, you just need some energy uh, not a lot of it and then time and the and the signal will travel at what we think is the the universal speed limit, the speed of light, basically. Right. So, uh, 
Uh, so if you're looking for the, if uh, there are other intelligent uh, uh, beings out there that have discovered the same physics we have, then if they want to communicate, maybe they'll do it in the same sort of way. So you're looking for those narrowband signals. And also we don't know anything in nature that creates narrowband signals. Natural processes create those broader band signals, but not the narrow band signals right so if if you do see narrow band signals then it's a hallmark of potentially uh potential that's the important word yeah potential extraterrestrial life yeah potential yeah either that or we've discovered some new physics we need to you know is there something that does naturally produce that yeah so um what were some because I'm interested uh, in um because I was a big alien conspiracy theorist (laughs) right (laughs) I think when I've spoken to my friends, a lot of my science friends came from like a conspiracy background. Right. They were like convinced. X-Files, like, right? <laughs> X-Files, the Illuminati, yeah. you know, all of that. And then I think as they, as they learn about the scientific method, they realize, oh, th- this is all nonsense. Yeah. Um, or it's, pr- it's potentially really, really probable that it's nonsense. You can't really rule out anything. Yeah. But uh, um, can you tell me more about this search for extraterrestrial life? So was that sure. the only um, effort that was made or were there other efforts that, that were made to actually looking for ET? Uh, well, I guess this is the only uh, true scientific uh, effort at looking for uh, extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, I guess that we come from the idea that uh, travelling those vast distances uh, is next to in possible mm. uh, uh, especially if you consider a human lifespan let's just say 70 years at the maximum speed we could go in 70 years we're not getting very far mm. uh, we're not getting even to the closest uh, star so uh, what is the closest star to us well, I guess uh, that was a bit of a, a slip the closest star is the sun but the, the, <laughs> besides, the, the, the <laughs> besides the sun uh, the besides the sun as uh, uh, Proxima Centauri so uh, how many light years for a about four light years away. So okay. if you travelled at the speed of light, it would take you four years to get there and four years to get back. But, you know, there are certain things that happen when you travel at the speed of light. Yeah. So uh, by the time you got back, everybody you knew, you would have would have aged, what, eight years, but everybody that you've known would have been long dead and so on because of the relativistic effects right. and so on. But we can't travel at the speed of light uh, because we have mass. So uh, unless there's some other ways of moving... Uh, uh, through time and space that we don't know about at this mm. stage and there may be uh, uh, actually physically travelling to the stars is is out of the question which then uh, other, other, are others uh, visiting us well if they're that advanced they're not going to be crashing in Roswell right. <laughs> to, to have people do autopsies on them right. yeah, so I mean if they're that advanced they're either here already but they're so advanced we just can't detect can't them know. because we just don't know enough yet right yeah. or they haven't even come yeah, exactly yeah, mm. yeah. But, uh, when I think about this I mean um, one thing that convinced me that E.T. hasn't uh, arrived on earth is as you said the, the the time it would take to go from you know uh one star to the to the other four light years that's assuming you're traveling at the at the speed of light that's right that's going to take ages yes. if you can't do that so obviously not in one generation anyway yeah so do you think it's more probable that if there is life out there they'll probably send drones like things that we're doing to mars one thing i hate to do uh uh is 
to try and second guess what an, uh, uh, if there is an alien intelli- another intelligence out there what they would do what their motives would be because all we're doing is sort of projecting our own motives and whenever we say what they could do we're sort of thinking of the technology that we know ourselves mm. so uh, what would they do I don't know what do, would we do well yes we'd send a drone effectively we've sent a drone we've got Voyager 1 and 2 that have uh, left the uh, the solar system now mm. uh, so effectively they're like our first attempts at drones to travel into interstellar mm. space uh, so what would they do they might do that you know, uh, considering those vast distances unless they're so far advanced that they do know how to control wormholes they know how to bend space or whatever they've discovered physics we haven't discovered mm. they uh, they uh, operate in a different dimension to mm. us or whatever right yeah. Um, that reminds me. Have you ever watched Expanse? Expanse? No, I'm, I haven't. Oh, you have to get into I've it. Got a, yeah, it is so. Is it, good. Is, it on, is it on streaming television? It's on Netflix. Netflix Expanse. Yep. I'll yep. have to have a look at it. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's a. Um, it's interesting because you know you raise a good point. It's uh, if we're going to speculate what alien life is going to be like, most of the time I think we're just going to project what we think is yeah. going to be like. And I think there's a famous case. I'm not sure if this was a scientist back in the days or um, some radical thinker. Um, he was speculating what alien life would be like on a different planet, yeah. and he essentially reached the same conclusion that it'd be exactly like us because of he made the, oh, yeah, a, a, the argument. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, two legs two arms and two eyes and yeah okay so so yeah. that always like that cracked me up it just shows how um how limited our imagination can be when we yep. think about alien life but in the expanse i bring that up is because um they have this thing called the proto-molecule supposedly this is this has come from um outside of our own solar system right and um, what it does, it, it it takes your life force and turns it into a new life force. It's really weird, and like, right. you, I recommend you should watch this. Okay. Obviously, it's not entirely based on science, yep. but the physics actually, the the spaceship, right. all of that is based in science. So what they do is when they take off, they they keep the acceleration at one g, right. and then when they get close to their destination, they turn the ship around and decelerate at 1G. Right. So you experience gravity throughout the whole time. Right. So it's really fascinating, but I brought up because of that alien thing, um, almost like a a contagious, I wouldn't even say bacteria, proto-molecule that can, that can take over people's lives uh, yep. or their, their physiology and, 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 and their life force and turn it into, take over, mm-hmm. like they can manipulate physical laws. And, and, and that may be possible considering that if there is a civilization that has even that existed a million, to- a million years um, uh, or is older than us, then they could potentially develop technologies that may seem magical to us. Oh, Absolutely. Just yeah. like an iPhone would seem magical to someone from a thousand years ago. Oh, abs- not even a thousand years ago, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So anything that advanced would seem like magic. Mm. Um, so in your honors, you, you worked on this. Yep. And then um, what did you do from there? Uh, I was actually a lecturer, mostly teaching. So it was mostly teaching for a few years and then i where did you teach uh, i taught it uh well back then it was uw uh uw university western sydney macarthur Ah. so mostly teaching in uh uh uh, courses uh, related to computing and uh uh, engineering so i taught uh digital communications technology uh uh, electronics uh 
um, some computing and uh, uh, networking data communications subjects. So it was mostly teaching, a little bit of research on the side. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, I think in the, when was it? Uh, uh, 1997, I got the opportunity to travel to uh, the US to uh, UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I collaborated with a team there who was the team who is uh, currently doing the biggest uh, SETI search uh, in the world. And they're actually doing it partly here in Australia, thanks to a uh, Russian billionaire, uh, Yuri Milner, who's funded a project uh, to, uh, to uh, target a whole bunch of stars, over a million stars, with the best technology we have to do a search for extraterrestrial mm-hmm. intelligence. So I worked with them for about uh, uh, eight months, uh, built some equipment with them, uh, bought that back that was we used that at the parks radio telescope and that was at the parks radio telescope it was southern serendip until about 2007 uh, and uh, i then about 2007 started my phd right uh, so i i did my phd and i did in uh, astrophysics as i said uh, looking at uh, supernova remnants okay yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about that sure uh, well, I, you may wonder why I didn't do a PhD in, in SETI. Okay? Right. But, uh, that's, you know, that, that's sort of got uh, uh, chances of success are, are fairly small. <laughs> but it would be an awesome, PA, uh, an awesome thesis if, if, uh, if you if found, found something. Right. Yeah. So, but anyway, an, an interest I always had was in the uh, life cycle of stars and particularly at the end of the life cycle. And uh, supernova remnant is what's left over after a uh, star has exploded in a supernova and uh, the Can remnant is what enriches the uh, the space and you know basically what we're made of from right. stardust stardust yeah so can you just give us an idea of what the life cycle of a, of a star is sure like? uh, so uh, uh, a typical star uh, uh, like our sun is probably a second or third generation star so the very first stars would have been probably just pure hydrogen that was the first element in the uh, universe and it's just a collapsed uh, 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 a cloud of gas that has become so dense that in the centre, uh, uh, the forces of gravity push, uh, pushing all of the uh, molecules together eventually gets hot enough to start nuclear fusion. Mm-hmm. So the the elements will fuse into helium and then the helium into the heavier elements and right. so on. And that is starts if you have enough gas becomes a a, a star. Right. And what? Why does it collapse? Uh, gravity. Okay. Like everything, gravity it pulls everything together. So as as the hydrogen or these gas clouds, yep. as they as they slowly come closer and closer, the gravity builds up and yep. the heat builds up, and yep. that produ- that provides enough energy yep. for the hydrogen uh, atoms to to fuse together. To fuse together, you have to have enough gas because uh, you need uh, sufficient gravity to produce those high temperatures. Uh, 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 to get nuclear fusion to start and you need a whole bunch of balances because the if the cloud is too hot then the molecules are going to be moving around too much it's not going to collapse in on itself mm. easily it's got to be you know cool enough to collapse and once they do collapse you've got to have enough of it to spark off fusion you've got to have enough gas there so <coughs> excuse me <coughs> so that uh, uh, it uh, when it collapses in 
the force is pushing out, there's enough holding it then. So a star is effectively in a uh, in a balance of forces pushing out and mm-hmm. the gravity pulling in. So uh, so the the forces pushing out comes from the exp- from from the uh, the fusion. radiation and the fusion. That's the radiation pressure that's pushing out and the gravitational forces uh, pulling everything in and you've got to have that right balance and right. if you get it right then you'll get a, a star and so as a star ages does that balance start to change yes so depending on the size of the star if it's a mm-hmm. uh, a large star a lot of mass uh, uh, then you're going to uh, uh, burn uh, hotter and uh, when I say burn I'm not talking about chemical burning I'm talking about nuclear fusion. reaction fusion yeah. uh, uh, it's going to uh, 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 burn quicker and die younger so it, it quickly goes through its life cycle a uh, star like ours is not qu- uh, that massive so it sort of burns slowly has a longer right. life cycle but the life cycle means that as the as the uh, fusion takes place in the center uh-huh. uh, you're fusing and becoming heavier elements so it's a bit like an onion so you get concentric uh, uh, zones where you've fused the elements have fused uh, the hydrogens become the helium the helium uh, fuses and so on you get all of the heavier elements until a point where you get up to iron at the core and you can't fuse the iron because you need more energy in right. to fuse it than you'll uh, have got so at that point you stop the fusion process effectively stops uh, you've still probably got fusion going on in the outer shells but it starts to cool down and depending on the size of the star if it's a star that's about three times the mass of our sun then you will go off in a supernova when you've run out of uh, out of uh, uh, fuel because it basically crushes down on itself mm. so quickly uh, it gets to a point where it can no longer get any uh, uh, more compact mm-hmm. basically so and you get a shock wave and that's when you get the supernova explosion ah so because because that energy isn't there to keep it from collapsing it collapses yeah and it's and it bounces back as it, it were and that back. sets up a shock wave and uh, that's the super starts the supernova explosion. Okay, that's it, if you're three times the size of our sun. If you're about the size of our sun, you probably what happens is you just get bigger and bigger because now the uh, gravity can't hold it uh, together as it were, and there's no f- extra fusion going on, right. and you'll get one of these beautiful things called that we call a planetary nebula. Right. So basically, it you know, just slowly cools and disperses out. So it doesn't go off with a big bang. It right. just, yeah, it just slowly dis- yeah, dissipates. Uh, just a question. So you said, um, so shouldn't our sun also collapse considering that it doesn't have that energy to keep it from collapsing? Why does it get bigger? No, it, it will collapse, but the outer shells, there's nothing to hold that. So the outer shells effectively just, uh, it just will uh, come off and, and uh, uh, be pushed away from the, the radiation that's on the inside i see so the so, inside collapses yes and yeah and but it won't collapse to the point where it'll cause a supernova explosion ah, yeah okay and so are there stars that are smaller than our sun yes yeah brown dwarfs and things like that so they're smaller colder i guess uh, jupiter is probably a star that never was because it just didn't have enough gas to to get fusion going 
but uh, Jupiter is you know one of the gas giants in our right. solar system. It's just not quite enough uh, uh, gas to actually get fusion going in the center. Okay, this is a dumb question, but what no. if you what if you what if <laughs> What if you send like a nuclear bomb to to Jupiter? Could you start off the process? Uh, you, you possibly could, but I don't know if that it'd self-sustain, and you'd have to get it right in the right place. You know that that bomb right in the the right place to 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 kick it off. Right. Okay. So you're looking at the remnants of of, of yep. supernovas. So you're looking at the stardust essentially. Yeah, you're looking at what's uh, what's left over. Uh, so it's it's the uh, the material that's been ejected from the supernova explosion. So that material goes into the interstellar medium, and uh, and it uh, pushes out with that matter, and uh, it uh, it sets up that shock wave that makes that shell expand, and. Uh, uh, that is what's enriching the interstellar medium with the heavier metals and the materials, the, effectively the stuff that allows us to, to be made. I mean, the, uh, we know that the sun must be a second or third generation uh, a star because we're here, the Earth is here, you know, the core of the Earth is iron. So there must have been a star at mm. some point uh, that exploded and created those metals and materials that we... Are effectively made from the carbon and right. and so on. Yeah, and yeah. that wouldn't have been possible uh, as a first generation star because well, we all that would have been around was hydrogen. hydrogen basically, yeah. yeah. Huh. So, yeah. what what questions were you trying to answer in your PhD? Uh, well, just looking at the mechanisms uh, of uh, uh, the enrichment and uh, uh, looking at uh, how we could try and tell what type of explosion created that particular uh, remnant because there are different types of supernova all depending on the energy and sizes of the initial uh, explosion so a remnant could be thousands of years old so uh, uh, the original supernova explosion nobody has actually seen that Mm. so trying to work backwards it's like trying to get our models uh, more accurate so that we can then simulate working backwards try to figure out what was the proto star the star that actually created that remnant so so you're like a crime scene investigator you're looking at what's left behind by the criminal and then trying to figure out what happened exactly yeah Yeah. that's interesting so each each type of supernova would exhibit a different residue or stardust yes yeah and it all many variables there i mean like the environment it's exploding into will produce something different uh you know you could have two stars exactly the same size and so on and they'll uh, go supernova but the environment they're in it could be different and so you'll get a different uh, uh remnant at the end of that so and uh, you know that's another variable there so it's not like you can just say oh well that particular thing's got this shape so it it must have been this sort of star. Right. Well, it depends the environment it's in as well. Right. That's interesting. Um, so there's a lot of variables there. Uh, there is a hell of a lot of variables, and it's not like most science. Astronomy and astrophysics is not like most sciences where you go in the lab and contest that because you know, we don't have a, an, another universe to play with and, and vary the variables. Though we, That's why we use computers. Like we you know, build universes in computer simulations and test those. Uh, and 
see how how our models hold up, whether we can produce something that resembles what we have what we in see nature. In yeah, what we see in nature. Um, so besides computer models, how do you actually go and study this? Uh, well, you make observations. How? Okay? Uh, in my case, uh, most of the observations I made were uh, radio telescope observations. Uh, the, uh, the remnant of a supernova will produce what's called synchrotron radiation, the uh, shock wave, the material moving uh, in the interstellar material as it hits other gas uh, produces this synchrotron radiation and that's detectable at radio frequencies so basically i point radio telescopes mm. at that make the observations uh you know try to make measurements of uh, uh the expansion if there's any detectable expansion of the uh, uh material uh the uh uh, the magnetic fields that are detectable and so on. So that's that's how I observe that. And you combine that with other observations, uh, for example, X-ray observations, mm. uh, if there are any optical observations, infrared, all of those. And each of that tells a different story. It's a different part of the physics that created what you can see. And from that, you're piecing together the mechanisms right. of how uh, how they have evolved and obviously the more observations we have we can uh, see which theories uh, are holding true so the the cosmologists or the theoreticians will put out that idea and we can go and make observations and see if if we can find evidence for for those that specific theory yeah. That's fascinating uh, I've always I've, I watch a bunch of astronomy uh, documentaries yep, so did i yeah <laughs> i'm fascinated by it and yeah. I, it's a shame because when i was in high school i think maths and uh physics scared me uh, yep. just because of the mathematics yeah well i believe it or not it, i was physics but i used not hate maths but i wasn't that great at maths be, i think because i couldn't see an application for it mm. but uh apart from the the obvious thing going to the shops and making sure you get the right change right. <laughs> uh but uh Whereas in physics, I really saw, well, this is, you know, maths is my toolkit, you know, to to work these things out. So uh, I guess I was, you know, that's where my appreciation for maths came from. You were obviously much wiser than I was in high school. Oh, no, I don't (laughs) think so. No, no, no. I was a bit of a mysterious kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, Blowing things up and getting... Oh, yeah. Oh, that's where the fun is. And science, if you can't make something blow up, yeah. So now I'm studying the biggest explosions in the universe. Right. <laughs> that's so funny. I, I can't blow anything up. I'll get arrested. <laughs> we will nowadays, yeah. Nowadays. But there's some of the things I used to get away with in those days, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fascinating. Um, but you're right. You know, once you understand the application, and I think I realized how important mathematics was in understanding how the universe works, not only at a large scale, but at a small scale. Yeah. Um, I did a project where I had to model the tongue movement of singers. Yep. And I had to use quadratic equations. And I right. hadn't used quadratic they equations could. since high school. And I thought, man, if, I, if they approached it like this, where they showed me the utility yep. of mathematics, I would have been way into yep. it. This uh, is where it's very important to have very good maths teachers and yeah. and science teachers as well but maths teachers i think in particular to have very good maths teachers is very very important uh, because yes i in my teaching career i've i found lots of students who are scared of maths and 
that's that's a bad place to be mm. to be scared of it okay uh, uh you don't have to be the best at it but don't be scared of it you know mm. it's really a very useful tool i think that fear comes from unfortunately teachers who are also not very good at it yeah. because that's not their primary right. and they have to teach it because there isn't enough math teachers out there right. so uh good math teachers are very very important yeah good yeah. teachers in general can yeah. can change your whole the trajectory of your life that's I was, right i was fortunate enough that i had really no, um, good science teachers um otherwise i would have been a historian or something a couple of questions um, from these science documentaries, these astronomy documentaries. Yep. So, one um, of the reasons why scientists um, know that you know the universe is expanding, and again, like you were saying, you could look at make make all these observations and yep. then go back in time. Essentially, say it had to be much more than it is. You know, yep. um, so Hubble. Um, saw how there was a red shift and a blue shift, I believe, in the in the galaxies or yes. stars, and that's how he knew that they were moving away from us yep. and moving towards us. That's right. Um, and this is analogous to people who who may not understand that it's like when you're driving and you see a car, you hear a car, and you go exactly. So if it's moving towards you, it sounds yep. higher pitch. Yeah, that's right. As soon as it's moving away, it's lower pitch. That's right. Yeah. So light, similarly, if if it's moving towards you, it's going to move towards the blue spectrum if it's moving away it's going to move towards the the red part of the spectrum now if we're in space yeah um how could we how could we know that if we're here i mean we we don't have another location in space where we can actually compare the direction of of if that makes sense i mean if we're looking at and we're seeing blue how do we know it's just not blue versus it's a different color and it's shifted to blue if that makes sense Um, not sure that I understood your question. No, so, sorry. so, so, in, so, you know, in, in, when you're when you're driving and there's yep. a car going past you, that car actually goes past you. Oh, okay. To the heat shift. Right, but right, my right. Is, how do you know that about galaxies and stars? Uh, okay. Well, because what we're looking at is uh, this is where we know what the spectrum of elements are in uh, uh, in the lab environment, so they're not moving. So we know, for example, emission spectra or uh, absorption spectra, we know where those lines should be. But when we get them from, for example, a star, uh, those uh, emission lines or those absorption lines from a gas that they've gone through uh, on the way to us, Uh uh, we'll see that those lines aren't in exactly the same place we expect them to be. So those lines, either all of them are shifted towards the red or all of them shifted towards the blue because it, you know, that, it's not just one line you're looking at. You're looking at all of the lines and uh, you, if you've got your template from what you know in the lab, then you can work See out, oh, that's such and such an element, uh, but it is shifted. You know, it's shifted either to the red end of the spectrum right. or shifted to the blue end of the spectrum. So... It doesn't have to actually come past us to to know that uh, that you know it's like uh, you're hearing a particular uh, tone and uh, a, a whistle, for example, but it's not the pitch you expect it to be because in the lab that the whistle is a particular pitch, right. and if you're hearing it and it's a higher pitch, it must be moving towards you. Right, and if it's if it's a lower pitch, it must be moving away. But you don't have to have that change in pitch. To, you, just to, to, you just have to know the original the, pitch. The original pitch, yeah. That is or original or the lab 
you know the pitch yes. in a uh, where it's not moving. Yeah. Okay, that that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, that's interesting because okay, I haven't even considered that because each element would have their own bands along the yeah, spectrum. Yeah, it's got its, its own fingerprint, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a lot along the light spectrum, you see these dark bands. Yeah, that's an absorption spectrum. Yeah. So those bands don't necessarily. So they might move. Their spacing through, won't change. Change, but yeah. they'll move collectively. Yeah. Yeah. Left or left right. Left or right. Yeah. And that's how you know. Yes. Okay, yeah. that answers my question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's Good. cool. Um, one one other question that I I think um, I tried to look for it in in Google, and I um, so we're we're orbiting the 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 sun. Yep. Um, so shouldn't we be seeing a different part of the sky as we're orbiting the yes s- the sun? And do we see that? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yes. Yes. So I mean, if you were to go and look at the night sky every you know every week for a, a year you'd notice that you'll see different constellations up in the sky and that's because we are moving around yeah, so we see different constellations at different times of the year we'll see some that we see most of the time around the year but they're the ones that are around the south because they're always in the same sort of point in the sky but others they'll come and go throughout the year so the ones that are towards the north and the south, they yeah. they remain pretty much regular, yeah, because they're in this part of our, the that's, universe, yeah, and everything around here, that's right, it, towards the equator, absolutely right, won't yeah. be seen, it won't well, we'll see it, it at certain changed. times, but it'll change throughout the year. That's right. Oh, yeah. that's that's so cool. Okay, yeah. um, oh, we still have about uh, ten more minutes. Okay, um, I I, I was wondering, are you? Being an astronomer, do you like uh, contemplate um, asteroidal impacts? Does that does it keep me awake? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, no, but it won't surprise me if it happens. Yeah, because you know uh, these things have happened in historical time and are bound to happen again. So there've been plenty of near misses, uh, uh, and I'm sure it will happen at some other stage whether we'll know ahead of uh, about it ahead of time is a different matter uh, there are some groups in the northern hemisphere who are observing and searching for that i'm not sure if we're doing it in the south there was a group uh, i think from anu that used to do this but I, whether they're still doing it i don't know mm. yeah do, do you think it's a it's an important thing to research to to find ways to make to ensure that humanity isn't wiped out like the dinosaurs um, Do you think that's possible? It, is it possible? Well, I'm sh- I, 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 it, it all depends on the size of the thing that's going to hit us. And I'm sure that there could be some strategies developed to uh, to minimise that. I mean, one thing you wouldn't want to do is, is blow the thing up because all you're doing is making more pieces <laughs> to, to hit us. Right. Uh, but to be able to deflect it, I'm sure that if we uh, needed to, we could do something like that. Okay. That, that's something that actually... I. I I, I think maybe I shouldn't spend too much time thinking about it, but it, it freaks me <laughs> There's out. There's not much we can do about it unless no. we all get together. The you know the whole you know world gets together basically and says this is important and yeah. we need to develop a strategy. Right. But I guess it also depends on the the uh, uh, the probability of it happening. Now yeah. it will happen at some stage, but I haven't looked at the exact 
stats or the probabilities of that yeah. uh, there are people who actually study that and they'd be able to get a much better answer than right. I can yeah, yeah. No, I, I, the reason is because I, you know there are certain things that happen let's say every 10 years and we can plan for it yeah. as humans we see the urgency of it but as soon as it hits you know it's outside of our lifespan something like a thousand years yeah. or ten thousand years or fifty thousand years no one wants to deal with it no but also humans are terrible at assessing risks and uh, as I mean not scientists that we're pretty good but we understand maths and so on but the general public you know at assessing risk and what is really dangerous i mean we we in a, especially in australia morbidly scared of nuclear energy but there are things that are much riskier than than that because we can't assess you know those risks that are, you know it's this thing we can't see and we sort of have a fear of it and so on right. but you know there are you know the risks are disproportionate uh, associated by people right and it's sometimes behind that comp- beyond that comprehension yeah like you said we don't have the statistical tools built in our brain no. um no. you will see significant that's the thing we're, we're so built to see patterns yep um um and if if those patterns aren't close close enough to each other then we don't see them at all no. so yeah hmm. so after your phd what did you get up to uh, well, as I said, uh, running this observatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I finished my PhD in 2015. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So oh, wow. So it's recent. Uh, very recent. Wow. Yes. yes. Huh, to be- so, I, as I said, I started in 2007 doing part-time uh-huh. and finished in, uh, 20, well, finished in 2014, fin- graduated in 2015. So you, you were teaching as well yes. as, as researching. Yes. Huh. Um, we're reaching towards the end, and I, I think I have... Three more questions, and I'll, I'll sure. let you go. I appreciate your time, Ian. Um, where do you see your field going in, let's say, 50 or so years? Um, ah, well, that all depends on what instruments we can get built. So uh, if the uh, square kilometer array ever uh, gets uh, built... What's that? It would be the biggest radio telescope ever built. Uh, uh, so it's a, it's a project that will build thousands of radio telescopes uh, here in, in Australia and in uh, South Africa spread across the world and effectively make the biggest radio telescope ever. Uh, um, why is it spread across the world? Could you explain that? Well, because you, uh, in, with radio telescopes uh, uh, or like any telescope, uh, the collecting area, the bigger the collecting area, the more sensitive the instrument is, the more sensitive the further back you can see and uh yeah, and uh uh but making just one single dish that size is impossible mm. so you make it out of lots of smaller telescopes and you spread it out over a big area mm. and effectively that's how like having one ginormous telescope, telescope I yeah. see. and and does our radio waves uh obviously larger waves than um uh, um than let's say what we see in light does that also have something to do with the spacing out of of those uh no because you you could you can do the same sort of things with uh optical uh telescopes uh uh but not you don't get the same advantage so uh also when you're looking uh, uh further back in time as it were uh, things are shifted. Once again, this is 
shifted down to the lower frequencies, so they get uh, shifted down to the to the microwave, the radio frequencies. Mm. This is why we have the microwave background. Mm. Okay, so it's the it's uh, uh, it's uh, uh, because it's far back in time it's all been shifted towards the red end of the spectrum or shifted down to the radio to the microwave frequencies right okay that makes sense um before we get into the last two questions i do want to ask you and uh, this is something that i've looked at in in different documentaries but wasn't quite clear when you and you also also mentioned the microwave um uh, radiation background right yeah. um and that is a signature of the big big bang, big bang yeah um, when you said looking back in time, so when you yep. w- when you point your telescopes, can you point at anywhere and see that signature, or is there a specific yeah, area no, in the e- universe? Everywhere, you see it everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's everywhere because that's, yeah, you know, that's because the universe is everywhere, and this is where it's really tricky, even for me to wrap my head around, because you we always think of the Big Bang. Okay, there was nothing. There was this thing. Then there was the bang, and it expanded. And what's it expanding into? You know, well, that's the thing. There, there was nothing. The, it's creating space and time as, as is it expanding. So uh, where is the centre? Everywhere is the centre, basically. So that microwave background radiation is everywhere. Right, because it's, it's expanding at every point in, in, in yeah. space. Yeah, and creating spaces. And yeah. creating. So, so, you know, the Big Bang created space and time so yeah it's a <laughs> it's a it it's it's really hard to wrap your head around and try and describe it is really difficult and so that microwave uh, radiation that it it that tells us what well that's that's the basically the afterglow the, of the big bang itself so when the big bang occurred that's the uh, heat that the big bang created but that heat has, uh, as I said, been shifted down to because it's so far away and so long ago, shifted down to the microwave uh, frequencies. Oh, so yeah. that also experiences a redshift. Uh, yes, yeah. Oh. So redshift is another way we can tell just how old something is. So the higher the redshift, it tends to be older because it's it's moved further away. Right. Yeah. Um, you you said it's it's the afterglow. How yep. long after the Big Bang? Uh, it's only uh, uh, now you've got is it like a second it, it, or a day? No, no. I think it's a uh, it's in the I think in the first uh, uh, I think three hundred milliseconds or something like that. Oh wow! Yeah, and so, so why can't we detect anything before that? Ah, uh, why can't we detect uh, because of that glow we can't see past that basically so that that obstructs the view uh, uh, of anything before that so the 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 radiation itself prevents scientists from looking yes before yeah why how does it do that because it's it's like you're being uh somebody's shining a flashlight in your eye and you can't see past it okay it's like imagine you had your high beams on uh, on a dark night and uh you're standing behind the car or something and i'm trying to look at you but the high beams are glaring right into my eyes and i can't see that's right that yep okay that's interesting wow um okay last two questions and um so one question uh the first question i'd like to ask is um 
What are you most afraid of when you're looking to the future? And this can be in whatever context. Oh, what am I most afraid of? Uh, human stupidity. <laughs> Yeah, uh, greed. You know, that's you know, unfortunately things I've got nothing, no control over. You know, apart from my own decisions and so on. You know, what we do as a world. You know, or as or as governments. I think that's what scares me the most. Yeah, I mean, our response to global warming and all of, all of those things. Um, turning away from science. You know, mm. uh, that's what scares me. Mm. And that's been happening. Uh, it is has yes more and more. I think. Yeah. And I was watching uh, a documentary. I think it was Richard Dawkins, and they were they, he was talking about how people think that the opinion of a of, of an ordinary person is oh. is just as uh, valid as the opinion of an expert who spent twenty thirty years yeah. researching something. Yes. And that's concerning. And he was saying that this is similar to the Protestant movement in 1500s, 1600s, when Martin Luther translated the Bible and then everybody had access to it and everybody had their own interpretation of the Bible. And then no one... no one respected uh, experts uh, yep. at all. And I think a similar thing is happening, and that's really yeah. concerning. Yeah, I mean, everybody's entitled to an opinion, but opinions have different weight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, yes, an expert's opinion sh- should be much more valuable than somebody who ha- has not done any work in that particular field. So, yeah. yes. So, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but as I said, opinions have different weight. Yeah, and... and uh, yeah, uh, uh, the very last question, which is the flip side of that, um, wh- what are you most hopeful or uh, about when you're looking to the future? I, I guess the flip side of what I've just said, that the human condition can actually rise above that greed and that stupidity, and uh, hopefully it, it will, <laughs> you know, and it'll come to its senses and... Uh, uh, you know, realize we're all human beings on this very, very delicately balanced uh, uh, spaceship. Spec- yeah, spaceship orbiting the sun, and uh, that uh, you know we need to actually pull together rather than rip each other apart. I I agree with you completely. Um, thank you so much for your time, Ian. It's okay. Um, this was very informative and uh, I, had, I had a lot of fun talking to you. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you. All right, guys. Uh, let's get this party rolling. Yeah. So how should we start this podcast, dude? Well, I like, you know... I like how Ayn says he's studying the biggest explosions in the universe. You know, when he did his honours. Oh, supernovas? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He loved exploding stuff, so he went (laughs) and studied the biggest explosions in the universe. I thought that was funny. And then then I go to him, yeah, I'd get arrested. He goes, yeah, we'd all get arrested. I'm like, no, no, no. I was thinking in my head, I'd get especially arrested yeah looking like me they were like this terrorist is making an explosive fertilizer bomb to blow up the, <laughs> some tower in the city uh so yeah but yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry i thought you were halfway through a sentence no, I was then i like, looked up and you were you were looking at me and i'm like I oh was, shit you want was, me to say something i was expecting some eye contact <laughs> you know uh yeah he was uh 
it was very appropriate because he was um, he's talking about sharing like how he, how being the astronomer in charge at the Western Sydney Observatory that he's he gets to share a lot of his science with kids. Mm. Uh, I thought that was cool. And actually, oh, I forgot to bring it in for you. What? Oh, let me tell the story and then you'll know what I forgot to bring in for you. Okay. Um, yesterday, I bought some red cabbage. So. If for people who don't know, red cabbage is like a pH indicator. So you can use it and it changes different colors. You just What is pH? <laughs> I'm not doing that now. Come on. pH is Sunday just how, morning, man. how acidic or how basic something is. How acidic or alkaline something. Yeah, yeah. Just in case, dude. All right. So anyway, basically, I'll tell that in the story. So basically, you boil red cabbage, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it has this really, really like purple, like insane... Um, purple kind of color water you get out of it you just let it cool down and that water that purple water is actually a ph indicator so it tells you it changes color if something is acidic or if it changes color if something's basic and because Ooh. it's just cabbage juice it's like totally safe it, so you can use it with kids and like the colors it changes are like you know hot pink you know uh yeah, 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 really? yeah. Like they're they're the types of colors. It's oh, not like shit. it's not like a subtle change. You go in, in like acid. It goes it goes changes from purple to red with acid, and then it goes even more pink and like hot pink, like really really hot pink. Um, uh, something you'd see at like the Mardi Gras or something. Like seriously, <laughs> yeah, like oh, like full on hot pink, would really acidic. So that's that side. But then the other side, it goes through, it goes from purple to like a bluey color to green and then to yellow to really basic. Ah. So it's cool. So you can make this stuff with kids. And this is what I forgot. Actually, um, aliquoted out, like made heaps of different vials of it. And I was going to bring some in for you. To share, like to give to your I have nieces, yeah, dude. your nieces or nephew or whatever, and um, dude, and you can go and test stuff because I was testing stuff with the kids. It's great, you know, like yeah, and you, you get them to predict, get them to predict what color it's going to change. Mm. So and, you know, you do something like lemon juice first, and and you get them to taste the lemon juice, and they go, oh, it's sour, you know, and you get them to predict what color, and they get all these wild colors, and then it goes pink because it's an acid, right? And then then you do something else, and, and you get them to to do like vinegar and you get them to taste the vinegar and they go oh that's kind of like sour like lemons you know and then they you get them to predict what its color it's going to go again yeah? yeah and then you can um and then you get bleach but you don't get them to taste the bleach oh <laughs> you'd put a tiny little drop of that and, and on their and, tongue and then it goes no you, i just use a shot glass but i, I don't shot it after yeah and then um and then you put it in there and it goes like well, this was actually interesting. It went, it went green first, and then it went really yellow. Really? So I think maybe it was just taking a bit of time to mix up in the solution yeah. or something. But uh, yeah, it was that was cool. That's really fascinating. Yeah. So you're putting those uh, solutions into the into the pH indicator. Yeah. Well, you can mix it. You can mix it any way you want. You're okay. just going to mix it together. Like the bleach, uh, you only put like a tiny drop of bleach in the bottom of like yeah. a shot glass or something, and then you just pour the indicator on it, and the indicator goes from purple to like like bright yellow or bright green. Oh, that is so cool! But man. the color change, you got to see it to believe it. It's not like yeah. subtle at all. It's like it's like you know, it's more green. It's more green than that. It's more pink than that. It's like hot pink. Like right. that's the type of colors we're talking. It's crazy. Dude, that, that's a really cool experiment I have to do with my nieces and nephew. Yeah. Um, yesterday, we, I did some experiments with them uh, about density. Yeah. So what I got was I had one cup filled with water, another cup filled with oil, and yeah. I got them to predict what will happen. What's going to go on top? What's oh, going nice. to go on the bottom, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, the, 
some like what a couple of them were saying that it's going the oil's going to go to the top or and the other one was saying the oil's going to go to the bottom yeah like, let's check it out and then they mixed it and they saw oh they had these two distinct layers yeah before that thing i asked them that will it mix and they're like oh no it's not gonna mix and my niece is like yeah it will mix yeah. and then they found out oh it doesn't mix and then yeah. they're like oh why is the oil on top i'm like that's a really good question yeah yeah you know what i mean and then we talked about like a, i didn't use the word density i just talked about which one do you think is heavier or lighter yeah do you know and they're like yeah, oh yeah. the oil is obviously lighter because it's yeah. on top you know and we, we even she, my little niece is like oh what if you like do you turn the cup around like this oops you turn the cup around like that what would happen to yeah. it yeah and i go that's a really good question and she's like i think the water is going to stay on top if we do that oh yeah you know yeah, I mean? cool. yeah. yeah. And, and you did it and and my nephew's like no i think oil is going to be on top and and we did it and yeah. the oil stayed on top they're like why is that happening yeah 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 that's cool <laughs> you know then i asked them i go what about air yeah. is air heavier than than water yeah. they're like oh i don't know and i'm like how could we test it and, and my little niece is thinking 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 she goes what if we get a straw and we blow blow into the water oh that's, yeah good idea i'm like that's a really good idea yeah. and it's actually amazing when yeah you, when you get them thinking about stuff did like you this. try did you try food dye in there as well we didn't have any food oh, dye. yeah you gotta go and do next time you see him do the same experiment but you put food dye and and we both know how it's going to turn out the food dye dissolves in water but it doesn't dissolve in oil so the oils on the top the food dial would be a really solid perfectly round droplet in the oil and it will slowly sink through the oil oh. and then it hits the water and goes bang and instantly dissolves oh. yeah and we should do it with like warm water and cold water yeah yeah warm water and cold water is another good one because the cold water the like temperature is a measure of how quickly the particles are moving right yeah so if the water is really hot the particles are moving really fast and when you drop um the coloring into it it disperses through the liquid really quickly but if you put the water in the freezer until it's just about to like freeze and take it out and you drop the water in that the particles are moving so slowly that the the droplet of dye just stays in there and it can take like like tens of minutes you know a long time to disperse through the water that's really cool yeah i think that it's so important to do that with kids well they're naturally curious like they they love that type of stuff because they just like it blows their mind just yeah. thinking about why that would be and yeah it's cool <laughs> yeah and and if you feed that curiosity i mean it's so important uh like when i was growing up i never had people do experiments with me uh, but i was just doing little experiments by myself like when i was uh, when i used to live in pakistan um i was about five six years old and you know how you have like those drain pipes that come from the roof, yeah? It was made out of copper. I don't know what it was made out of, but for some reason, I don't even know what caused it, but it would get a buildup of static electricity. And this would happen on like hot days, I think. It was really weird. And yeah. when I would go in and touch it, um, it would shock me. And I'd remember, why is this happening? Yeah. Like, this is so weird. What, what's causing this? Is it yeah. the sun? Is it what's causing this, you know? And I, I, remember, I remember like being so um, just, uh, I don't know, I was, I was just like, what the, what the hell is going on? And, and, and I don't know if I told you the story, but we had like in Pakistan that they didn't have like the same sort of rules and regulations when it comes to, you know, constructing new buildings and houses. 
I don't know how, but they had like pieces of sodium, dude. Yeah, like geez. pieces of sodium. Yeah. And how I knew uh, later on this was sodium was we actually did an experiment in class where they put like a solid block of sodium in water. Yeah. And sodium, for the guys who don't know, as a metal is very reactive. It's very unstable. Um, it can react with water uh, really quickly to produce hydrogen gas, I believe, right? Um, don't it, ask me the details no, it does, because <laughs> yeah. i think sodium reacts with the oh of the water so h2o so the oh and produces sodium hydroxide mm. and the hydrogen i'm actually i'm not even going to comment on this but anyway it produces hydrogen gas and that heat it's an exothermic reaction meaning that heat is created from that reaction the heat and the hydrogen gas you know you have heat plus fuel plus oxygen yeah you can use that to cause explosions but what i'll do is like these tiny bits of sodium like these pebbles almost and muslims they they before they pray they have to do this ritual where they you know they have to clean themselves their face their arms um and and their feet and when they go pray usually you know parts of their body are still wet and what i'll do is i'll throw a bit of that sodium <laughs> <laughs> on people's feet while they're praying bro it start to dissolve. Give it to people when they had wet hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so messed up. Uh, I thought, dude, I'm, no respect. No, I was just curious. I'm like, okay, well, clearly, just curious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe. No, I, I'd never thought about the respect thing. I was just like, why does this happen? Why does it? First of all boil and why does it hurt people yeah. you know what i mean and how many yeah. people i just need to just confirm that it did hit people uh, hurt people so i just it, needed some oh, more rep- yeah, yeah. yeah some more trials some repetitions to ensure that my data was actually meaningful <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was really cool um what struck me uh, we should get back to Ian. uh what struck me is because you and me are both in like biophysics and it, i like how like a lot of people, I think, have this view of science that everything's really distinct, biology, physics, and, and chemistry. Mm. But they're not like techniques in one kind of pass over to the other. And yeah. where Ames using Fourier transformation to kind of, what was it, look at uh, stars and things like this and, yep. and um, to analyze the data that he's getting back. Analyze the, look at the stardust. The spectrum, yeah. Yep. Um, and we're doing the same thing, but in cells. Mm. Yeah, so it's 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 interesting. It's the exact same technique, but that's yeah. transferring one from uh, the cosmos, yeah, the biggest things that we can see to stuff that's microscopic. Tiny, yeah, yeah, and it's it's really cool because as as a kid, I was always fascinated. I shouldn't say as a kid. I think as I finished high school, I I watched more like physics documentaries, and then I really started to appreciate how cool physics was. Yeah, you know, um, as I told Ian, the math kind of turned me off, but the philosophical aspects of physics, you know, where we describe nature and how it works in terms of just words, mm. that fascinates me. You know, but I think it's really it's really interesting because there's a lot of like famous physicists as well, and this is like you know, every time I listen to um, physicists get interviewed, people just like like 
throw all these questions they have at him about. And it was the same when you were in the And I'm like, oh, poor guy. These guys must like just get bombarded. But it's because this stuff's so interesting and it's so like different from us. Like yeah. people kind of have an idea about how humans work and how life works because, you know, that's what we are, right? Yeah. But like when you're talking about supernova, it's just, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so far removed when you get somebody who spends their life studying it. You just want to like grab every piece of knowledge you can from them. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And supernovas are, you know, physics in general, I think, is so out of human. It's 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 not within the realm of human intuition. Yeah. You know, yeah. like what you would intuitively think is the case is not the case. And Neil deGrasse T Tyson puts this beautifully. You know, the universe has no obligation to make sense to you. Yeah. And yeah. I think in, in a lot of physics stuff, it, it doesn't make sense because it is so far removed, you know? It, it is yeah. so trippy. We, where we can kind of get things in biology like evolution and stuff like that because it makes sense to us because yeah. we're, we're living it, we're feeling it every day. But this stuff's so removed from us, it's, you've really got to think in a different way. Yeah, especially when you get into like astrophysics. Mm. Um, like yeah. I've heard Neil deGrasse Tyson, even Lawrence Krauss, when they talk about like something like supersymmetry, my yeah. brain just starts hurting. I'm like, yeah. what, what, yeah. like how, what? Like I, I have like n no way of comprehending what the hell they're talking yeah. about. And this is goes back to my discussion with friends, you know, someone like Ain who spent years and years and years researching, um, you know, working in the field of physics um, in astronomy, I should say, like, my opinion is jack shit compared to him because I don't mm. know anything. And and I've I've heard people, like, make this claim, and this is... Uh, in, in, do you remember that global warming uh, uh, lecture that we or talk that we were part of as well? And, mm. and he was saying that, you know, people spend 20, 30 years of their lives researching something and, and dedicating themselves to finding as much as they can, find out as much information as they can, reliable information. And along comes some jackass with an opinion and yeah. everybody pretends like those two, like uh, the expert opinion and the jackass opinion are tantamount. Have of equal weight. Yeah, exactly but they it's, don't it's so right. it's and, and like sure and you can always like the the argument to that is oh but experts can be wrong too sure. which is like sure they can be but i know who i'm betting on you know what i mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? like if For i sure. had to put if i had to take my pick on who was right yeah i know who i'd be going with i'd be going with the guy who spent his lifetime researching yeah. it now sure i could be wrong yeah i might that might not be the right decision but hey it's probably the most wise one. But you can mitigate even your chances of being wrong by consulting many experts. Mm. You know, if you're just putting all your eggs on the same, in the one, one bas basket of this person's opinion, then Talk you're... Talk to a different expert, yeah. exactly. There's, there's a guy that Joe Rogan had, um, he had made some, you know, a lot of headway in, in the field of cancer and cell biology. Just a fascinating dude. Peter Duesberg, I think his name is. But he's, he's this wacky dude who believes that AIDS or HIV, the virus itself, is not what causes AIDS. Oh, yeah. The guy who um, invented PCR. Yes. Muller? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, Something yeah. like that. He, uh, well, that's who you were talking about. I think it's, I think it's the same guy. Peter Duesberg. I'm not no, sure. No, it's no, it's not no. Duesberg. It's something else. Uh, I'll probably look it up. Carrie Muller or something like that. Um, but the guy who invented the PCR... PCR reaction and he also is pretty crazy uh, uh, he believes in an AIDS denialism and things like this and I think he believes in aliens and stuff like that yeah he's a problem in biology of California 
Let's see. I think this guy... Molecular biologist. Now, he's a molecular biologist too, but it looks like a different... Uh, Duisburg on AIDS. What causes AIDS? Yeah, this... Different different guy from the guy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. But the point I'm, I'm making is that, like, if you just listen to that dude, even though he's made some great headway in other parts... Yeah, you yeah. Know, that, yeah science, that doesn't discount his other things just because he's a whack job. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the same, like, the PCR reaction still works, right? Yeah. Yeah, just because the guy invented it was... An, Fruit Loop yeah. doesn't mean that the it's, technology itself is bad. It's not. Yeah, just, exactly. Like, I think Darwin had some wacky ideas as well besides evolution, right? But that doesn't mean that evolution, the theory itself, is nonsense. Yeah. And the same. Well, yeah. A, but, but the point I wanted to make here was Peter Duisberg, again, if you consult this one dude, you're going to be convinced of his argument. But when you consider other arguments by other scientists who are, you know, when you look at what the bulk of scientists are saying, that's who you want to go with mm. because the, the people who are on the fringe can be right. And you read that beautiful quote a couple of weeks back oh, about, yeah, about Carl Sagan, Sagan you know, the clown, yeah. Yeah, about Bonzo, bo, bo, what's Bozo. Bozo the clown. Like they yeah. say that who and so-and-so got laughed at. Um, yeah, but they all, we also laugh at clowns and idiots as well. Yeah. yeah. So you have to be careful that some people may, and that's the thing when you, I, if I'm not an expert in the field, I'm too dumb to know if someone is wrong. Yeah. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah. And so you have to recognize that. That's and where critical thinking comes in, I think. And yeah. And just recognize that. But can I just go back to the biophysics aspect of it? So Alex and I both, so we were talking about like redshift and blue shift in that, in that episode, right? Mm. So if a galaxy is moving away from us, it's going to be a redshift, right? Um, if it's moving towards us, it's going to be a blue shift. And, and all of these, if you look at the light spectrum, the colors from, from blue all the way to red, what you see is certain molecules. And this is, um, this is how we know what the sun, for instance, is made out of. Mm. Right? What you do is you let the light go through a prism and it separates the colors. And then you see these dark bands. They're like a barcode, like yeah. a fingerprint. Where, for, the, where the molecules are absorbing light. Yeah. And you see these dark bands where the light isn't. Yeah. Isn't it, yeah exactly it's being absorbed and those dark bands it, those are specific to specific elements in they um, form like a fingerprint the pattern of bands forms a fingerprint and we can tell what they are exactly like helium would have a certain fingerprint mm. hydrogen would have a certain fingerprint and so on and so forth right but what's cool is that that fingerprint changes like a, you might have the same barcodes but it might all of it the colors might change towards the blue or the red part of the, yeah. the rainbow, um, depending on what's happening. If it's moving, if the, there's, there's a lot of factors that if might go yeah, into if it. If it's standing still, it's in the middle. If it's moving away from us, it's red shifted. If mm -hmm. it's moving towards us, it's blue shifted. Yeah. But the fingerprint still there. We use that, um, this red shift, blue shift, not in terms of movement, but in cell biology. So if we have a molecule that is fluorescing, meaning that it gives off light, we could actually use that to attach it to certain molecules inside the cell that we can then look at, get an understanding of the environment. So you'd experience those shifts left or right, depending on what's happening around it. Yeah. So for instance, <clears throat> if the DNA, which is like the genetic code of, of the cell, if that's being read, certain machines are being made, it will shift in a certain way. If other machines are being made, it will shift in a different way. Yeah, and, and part of, actually, it's right on my thesis topic. <laughs> so part of the, the shifts I've seen in the, the dye that I'm using to stain stills, like red shifts at 
by eight nanometers and things like this. That's a, a slightly different because we're talking about the light that's emitted off a of fluorophore, where mm -hmm. they're talking about the light that's absorbed by a molecule. Mm -hmm. But it's the same type of same idea. Same sort of concept. Same, yeah, exactly. Same. But yeah. again, like that's so cool that the 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 models of the universe that we have in terms of how big it is how how the galaxy or how the universe is expanding all these things that physicists have established work yeah right and they work so much that we can take those concepts from one field and apply it to biology which is our field and uh, like i was talking to my friend and he's like how do you know that the earth isn't flat because he, he has friends who are flat earthers right and I said, dude, the, the amount of evidence that's there to, to suggest that the Earth is not flat is astounding. Mm. This is one example, right? Yeah, it, I think it's about, so the evidence that would suggest the Earth is flat works in the same respect that this evidence does, right? So this, we know that this is true, this shift, because it works in physics, it works in biology, it works whenever we use it, it works. It doesn't matter, you can take it out of into a different context, it still works. And it's the same that can be said <clears throat> for the evidence of uh, a round Earth. I almost said evidence for you, a flat Earth. You did say flat Earth. <laughs> well, like, what is your Yeah, yeah. We, um, flat Earth is going to lose their <laughs> shit and say, shit. That evidence works in other contexts. So if, yeah. it, if, if it was false, it wouldn't work in other contexts. And then we could say, well, it's wrong. If but the, it doesn't. It does work in other contexts. So it's okay. Exactly right. So if the Earth, earth was flat, um, then it'd be the, the physics would be so off because then you wouldn't be able to explain how gravity works. Why um, it, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So the whole model of the universe that we would have would fall apart. The physics that you and I work with wouldn't make sense if the Earth was flat. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I do believe, um, based on evidence, that the Earth is round. And for the guys who aren't convinced, just... <laughs> Like, for God's sake, just think about... How many of them listen to this podcast? I don't know, I hope a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but the problem is everyone's trying to look for things to confirm their, their, their theory. Or yeah. I shouldn't even say theory, their hypothesis, because that's the correct term to use. But no one's trying to disprove it. Hmm. And that's the problem. We can't let this uh, little post chat go without discussing aliens, man, because I, I, you know, I've got a very interesting point, I thought. Um, when Ayn was talking about... Um, he was talking about not wanting to make anthropocentric assumptions about aliens. I think you asked him some question about the motivations of aliens and how we shouldn't. Then he goes, you know, I don't like making um, assumptions and putting the assumptions we have about our lives onto that of like what aliens would be mm -hmm. and um in one hand i kind of like respect that idea because it's kind of right but on the other hand i, I was kind of thinking but you have to do that to some extent to actually go and search for et because ain's work when he was looking for et he's like searching for signals that people would send in radio waves right mm. um that is an assumption that an alien species would want to communicate to us in alien wa in in radio waves, you know, which is something we don't even really do. I don't think anymore. I don't think we're putting out any signals for in radio waves or anything like that. So we might be, are we? Oh, we well, incidentally, but I don't think we're putting out any signals that say, "Hey, aliens, come find us" and stuff like that. Right, right. I think, that, but just going back to the radio waves, I think there, I was reading something on Facebook. There was like, I fucking love science. That that Facebook 
page that they have. They're talking about radio la- radio waves, short uh, or narrow wave, narrow range radio or narrow radio waves, like yeah. this broad and narrow. They were detected from a, like a red dwarf. So you know, when we were talking, when I was talking to him, he said, I, I said, this is potentially. It could potentially be an alien. He's like, yeah, potentially is the key. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because how do you tell the difference between that and some natural or some other natural thing you don't know about? But um, but even that is an assumption. So he was saying he didn't didn't want to make assumptions about that, but you kind of almost have to make assumptions to go and look. And so you have to make the assumption that these aliens would want to transmit or yeah have radio waves. And and but even it also goes to astrobiology right so people who try and look for alien life like microbes and things on other planets you just have to make an assumption that life on another planet is the same as life here or similar to life here or has some aspects to life here Mm. so what they say that when they're looking for isn't when they say they're looking for life what they're really saying is we're looking for life kind of like us you know Mm. like uh because that's how we're defining it. So it's so it's kind of like this catch twenty two. You don't want to make assumptions because if you make assumptions, you might miss something. Yeah, yep. or you or you, yeah, and you don't want to miss something. As a scientist, you want to go in and just look at what you're presented with. But it's almost a catch twenty two because in order to actually look, you have to make some assumptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, otherwise, what are you looking for? Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's interesting because. Um it's a good point, but it, I've, I think I pointed this out to Ain as well. I, I maybe I heard this on a podcast. It was in, on one of those NPR podcasts about a certain scientist, or I don't know who it was, but he was saying that you know if there was life on another planet, obviously they would need two legs to walk. They need a mouth to talk. Yeah, you know yeah. they they need to defecate and get rid of. So he essentially came to the conclusion that there's another human civilization on another planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just based yeah. on his assumption. And I brought up like the Expanse as as a TV show for Ain. They did a shit job of explaining what the proto molecule was. So the the so what the the, the premise is this that uh, this is hundreds of years after like hundreds of years from now you know we've uh, developed uh, Epstein drive which is uh, these uh, nuclear reactor uh, jets essentially yeah. that can you sounds know, like you're describing the plot of Mass Effect here but keep going dude it's, it's actually yeah, yeah, really it sounds cool. like it's, it's so cool yeah. this is the setup for the Mass Effect plot <laughs> hundred years in the future yeah. humans develop this drive found yeah. some stuff on it you can keep and going they can go between different like they can go like in the solar system they can travel really yeah. fastly but what's happened is that people have tried moved into Mars and they want to colonize Mars and terrorize format and others have moved all the way to where the asteroid belts are to harvest water yeah yeah right to to get so they call them the belters because they lived in the asteroid belts and then you have the martians and the earthlings right but the mars mars and earth are fighting over resources that they're acquiring from the 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 belt system so you have like these two superpowers um, who are screwing over like a third world nation it's like it's very analogous right like that but what what happens is that um, what happens is that uh, this this proto molecule, think of it like a contagion, comes from outside of our solar system, and and these human beings find it, and they realize what this proto molecule can do is transform life. So it will kill you, right? But it'll take all your memories, your life essence, and somehow transform yeah, that. Yeah. Use that. It's use your experience, your knowledge, everything like that, right? You're dead. 
But what it can also do is start to manipulate the laws of physics. So it can accelerate in this way, let's say, at like five kilometers per second, then all of a sudden change the trajectory and go the other way without yeah. anyone on that rock. Like, like it's taken over a certain rock without anyone feeling any G-force yeah. difference. So it's a really mind-blowing uh, uh, TV show because... It's 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 not your typical aliens, right? It's yeah, it's cool. it's this alien life form that can transcend time because once it finds life, it can over it can take over that life yeah. and then express itself and come to life. Yeah. But until there, until that time, it stays in a dormant state and and it can survive. Um, Sounds cool. Which I might is really, have to check it out, dude. It's so mind blowing. But yeah. it, it just shows like that's totally possible it may totally be possible that alien life is so foreign to what we think is possible that it could literally um manipulate the laws of physics that exist in this universe yeah, yeah that's totally possible is it probable i don't know yeah but you have to be open to that it sounds point. very similar to the uh throwing a little bit of ai and that's like the mass effect uh plot what's the what, what do you mean mass effect plot is the Mass Effect trilogy, the video game. You've thrown a little bit of artificial intelligence into that mix mm-hmm. and it's kind of like that. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's very similar. It's such a good... It's similar in a sense. Dude, yeah. it's so good. And I mentioned to... Can I, I'm not going to explain any more than that because I want Hamid to play <laughs> yeah. Mass Effect and if I explain any more than that, he's uh, it'll be two spoilers. I'll be like giving away like the end of the, like, the last yeah, trilogy and don't stuff. Do it. And, like, don't yeah, do so. it. Yeah. I've I've given uh, Alex and I have made a deal. He, <laughs> once he finishes his thesis, Alex is going to watch the seven seasons of Game of Thrones, and in return, I'll play the three Andro- not Andromeda, the Mass Effect trilogy uh, trilogy game. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll yeah. be good. I don't know. I think we should call it an end. We've been rabbiting on now for a long time. You got anything more you desperately want to say to the lovely people? Um. I, I guess I was really I was really happy with this interview because I had a bunch of like uh, astronomy yeah. and astrophysics <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. questions. You just yeah. unloaded on poor Aim. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me this. Like, I have this really interesting question. I've always wanted to know this. Yeah. Tell me, go. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I googled it. You know, this is you know about the star stuff. Yeah. Because we live in the South Hemisphere and we yeah. see this pretty much similar stars throughout the three sixty five days of the year yeah there's differences right there's I've differences often, between southern and northern hemisphere oh yeah for too. sure yeah, yeah. yeah for sure because you're looking at different parts of the, yeah. the universe right and I, I remember like this is again i think there's there's a positive to people who claim that the earth is flat because it gets you to realize why it's not flat right? yeah, yeah like yeah, you yeah. have to really uh, check your understanding why christopher hitchens had this thing he used to say i'm, I'm not even going to try and quote it but he used to kind of say that um the reason the person who needs to hear a controversial is about freedom of speech right he said mm-hmm. the person who needs to hear a controversial opinion the most is the person who disagrees with it yeah. you know like so like if you, if you think a controversial opinion is wrong then you need to hear it because yeah. it better prepares you to dismiss it and yeah. you can call it out for what it is yeah yeah. So I was, I was really happy. He kind of indulged me in those. It's like the last 10 minutes of the interview. is like, all right, let me just, I have like five questions. Yeah. <laughs> I have to check. Okay, let so me go through my list. We yeah. went through the Big Bang, <laughs> expanding universe, the microwave background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do supernovas work? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Cool. 
All right. Anyway, have you seen any pictures of nebulas, by the way? Yeah. I had no idea that nebulas were uh, a, a, the byproduct of a supernova. Oh, didn't you? Yeah. Or, or, or uh, um, I shouldn't say supernova. Of, of it, I think supernovas. It's gas. They're basically like massive yeah. gas, but huge though, gas clouds. Huge. Yeah. yeah. And they're so beautiful. Yeah. They're so beautiful. Yeah. Though they don't look very beautiful through a telescope. You have to... Uh, Color enhance it. You have to take... Like, they'll photograph for them for like hours at a time and they'll take like little exposures they'll take, take like hundreds of little exposures for short amounts of times and they stack all the images on top of each other and then oh. some of the images are like high um a really really high shutter speed yeah exposure time so really long exposure time so they get really dim light and then some of them are really short exposure time so they can resolve the really bright light mm. and they stack all these on top oh. of each other and they put them in they color enhance it and they bring out all the colors and that's why they look so beautiful but it's kind of like weird like the color's really there mm. but to find it you have to do all of this stuff to because there's just it. so little light coming in from that right yeah. but if you're on a spaceship and you're moving towards a nebula you'd see it as as you see it in the pictures no, no, no. Well, depend. No, well, no, because once you're in a nebula, no, no, the gas is just around you. No, right? no, no. So you don't see anything. You're in a spaceship. You're moving towards a nebula. Why would you see it more? No, I'm saying you would see the colors as it is, as we see it in, in the in the in the photo in the no, photographs. No, or would it? What would it be? I think just the same. Would it be invisible? No. Uh, well, if you look at a nebula through a telescope, no, no, it kind of looks like look. You're in a spaceship, so the nebula is yeah. right in front of you right yeah i'm saying but would you would you see it as you see it in the pictures that nasa has taken no i don't think so because to see those pictures you have to to resolve them like yeah, but you stack so, them yeah but you're so close yeah but when you're right in it like nebulas are I'm not hundreds of thousands of light years yeah but you're far enough that it's close enough for you to see it do you know what i mean just you like were, the sun yeah. just like the sun is like as we can see it now Right, if you're that close to a nebula, I don't know. I don't think it would make a difference. Wouldn't you see those beautiful? Because they're colors? so big, right? So like, you have to be far away to see the whole. That's thing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but not but too if, far away. Yeah, yeah. But if you, I don't know. Just like the sun right now, right? We can see it. Yeah, but it doesn't look different from a star, really. Like it's like it's the same color as a star. That's, that's what I'm trying to get to. Would you, if you're that close to a nebula, would it look like what we see in the pictures, or has NASA altered no, those just like they fake the? <laughs> I don't think it would ever. I, I can't imagine it would ever look like it does in the pictures. To hide the when fact you're that when you're right amongst it, you can't even see the thing at all because it's just gas really far away. Yeah, but those colours, wouldn't you be able to see those? No, Why? I don't think so because you need to be back far enough That's to get the I'm whole saying. thing in the if picture. You're back far and enough, when you're back far enough, you can't resolve the. Are you telling me that? Like right now, right? If I if I if I'm like this, <laughs> yeah. I can't see your whole body, right? Yeah, but yeah. But if I can get this far, I can see your whole body. But when you get I'm far not... away from a nebula, I don't think you get the color out of it. Wait, you, you can't get far and that that makes zero sense, bro. Like, what do you? I, I don't I'm know. saying, can't you get far enough where you get what the nebula looks like? Or do I don't you think so? I think these things are way bigger and way further away. Well, if they're bigger, bro, isn't there a distance that's sufficient that will enable you to see the nebula in your whole field of view? I don't imagine so. Oh my god, how does that make sense? Maybe, bro? maybe, like, how the hell does like, that make sense? like if you look at the Milky Way, like, have you seen the Milky Way across yeah. the night sky? I guess you can see a bit of color in that. So maybe, maybe, there's no. The, when you look at other galaxies, don't they have? Don't they have? Like, no, nah, well, if you look color? at color, no, nah, you can. Don't like, they have color? Not really. No, they like look like kind of like, like 
bit blurry, I guess, like a like almost grey kind of like. But they're very they're so faint, man. So, they're no, no, so I mean, faint. Look at our galaxy right now. Yeah, because we're right close to it. So but maybe this color there, dude. For the Milky different Way, different stars yeah. have different colors. Different gases yeah, have different yeah. colors. That's what I'm saying. So maybe there is a distance if you go like sit just outside it, where you're looking up, and all you can see is the nebula. But I don't know if that's necessarily. Why wouldn't you be able to see that? That's ridiculous. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um, This is why people believe in this flat earth thing, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Because we don't have all the answers. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have the answers, then it's just, it's equally valid for me to say that my answer is correct, even though I have have no evidence of it. Don't you know that? Not knowing is answer my evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What else could it be? That's a fallacy of ignorance, which I didn't even know was called a fallacy of ignorance. You could just say, man, just because you don't know something, does that mean that it's you, you can make a crazy assumption? To yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. Anyway. Definitely a logical fallacy. I think we've... Dude, I was watching, I was watching that... Uh, the show Matt Dillahunty's thing it's so funny oh atheist experience it's so hilarious yeah. bro it's yeah. so funny there's some really funny episodes there's some are a bit boring some of them are so hilarious like some you, of them are great yeah. yeah like like people like call in and it's it's hilarious because you get they get prank callers too do you, they? you would have heard a few prank oh yeah them. yeah they definitely get prank callers no. yeah yeah I've seen people just lose their shit just lose their shit yeah. on the day like screaming yeah. <laughs> I'm like dude just don't call man yeah yeah like this guy yeah but he does get some like he gets super aggro like Matt Dillahunty Matt, does yeah, he, he gets a little bit aggressive he gets super yeah. aggro yeah. and I think I not know. all the guests are like that no. though quite a few of them are pretty chill Russell Glass is very very good I think and Tracy Harris is pretty good Tracy Harris is yeah I've, I've seen her yeah huh. I like, like I, I think Matt's really good um, logically and uh, he's quite a good thinker and he explains things I think really well um, but yeah he's uh, <laughs> he's, a savage, really. he's, he's, he's pretty a, savage he's he doesn't savage. he doesn't hold any punches no. at all no. you're an idiot you're done goodbye <laughs> dude that's the craziest shit ever yeah but yeah, anyway we've gone on too many tangents this is 42 minutes yeah I don't know is it all gonna make it in we'll yeah, see maybe we just, if you guys have stayed this far Good on you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Catch ya. Uh, wait, we have to talk about what, who we're going to have um, next. No, we don't. We don't know who we're going to have on we next don't. week. Oh, that's true. Just Be- like stay tuned. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, thanks again for watching us and watching us and listening. Uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Make sure you like our Facebook page, um, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. These are video podcasts now, so you can get the video of this on youtube check it out and share it with a friend god damn it um and also by the way we, we're giving out we're giving out free t-shirts but it's a competition well they're not free yeah 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 you, let me just we they're expect free. you to work for yeah. us <laughs> they're free in the in the sense that you don't have to pay for them <laughs> but what the, the the competition is this should we make it that you have to refer five people or um and then you go into the draw to win or should we make it well if it's going to a draw you got to refer five people or should we make it the person who gets the most uh, people to like our Facebook page and write, you know, give so and so a shirt. That's the person who wins. We could put everyone into a drawer and exceptional efforts get a shirt. Fair enough. How, yeah, uh, well, how about uh, we do that? Host discretion. Yeah. No, no. How about we do that? Okay. Um, one shirt is you go into the drawer if you recommend five people, and another shirt is if you put a crazy like if you 
ungodly amount of people come to our Facebook page and recommend that you get a shirt, then if it's way more than everyone else's, then you get a shirt. That's fair enough, I think. Yeah. Like good, good old Nathan did. Yeah. <laughs> if you got to put up, Nathan's our student. We teach him for a second year biochemistry class. And uh, this guy, like literally, what a gangster. Right? Yeah. We, we, we said it just as a joke, like initially. And like that very day, he started like hustling his friends. They're like, give yep. So like he got like eight people just <laughs> like fair enough you deserve yeah. you deserve a shirt dude yeah take a tingle ciao right. take a tingle I said yeah alright see you guys later thanks for listening to Blabcoats rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast because it does help us spread the word and if you like what we're doing here then help us grow it by sharing this with a friend a friend of a friend or your mailman, even your mailman's mailman. We also want to hear from you, so send us questions or comments to blabquotes at gmail.com. And if you have any interesting questions or comments, then we'll talk about it on air.